Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. And Kick-Ass Stepmom does not mean that I'm saying we are, or I am, the perfect stepmom with all the answers. This podcast is just about finding a way to live a kick-ass life amongst the extra stress and challenges that come with being a stepmom. It's about doing the work to thrive amongst the, well, BS or whatever it is, however you want to word it. And it's not just for stepmoms, it's for anyone. We have a lot of non-stepmom listeners. A lot of episodes have nothing to do with stepmom life. We are just here trying to do things the best that we can and yeah, thrive amongst the tough stuff. So in this episode, actually, it's not with a stepmom. It's with a mom, a mom of three. Ashley Michelle, you know her from probably our splendid life on Instagram. And she was actually the sixth guest on the podcast back in 2018, which is just crazy. So if you haven't been with us since the beginning, I recommend going back and listening to that podcast episode. We talked about Ashley's decision to give up primary residency of her daughter and let her daughter go live with her father and stepmom. We also touched on parental alienation, how she dealt with this in her own co-parenting relationship, She shares how and why parallel parenting works for her family dynamic. And then in this episode, we get an update on how the long-distance co-parenting relationship is going. Ashley lives in New York with her husband and three other children, and her daughter lives in Florida. So there is a plane ride between them. And we get an update on just her perspective on parenting now and what that relationship with her daughter looks like and what she's striving for we dive into the challenges that come with a long-distance co-parenting relationship, ego, and how she's taken that out of the equation and really focused on what's best for her daughter, the power of really understanding your children, and how she uses the love languages to foster her relationship. Ashley and I also dive into social media and the struggle that comes with sharing your life and perspective online when there are other players in the game with very different perspectives. Remember, two different people can experience the exact same situation in two very different ways. But yeah, this is a really great conversation with Ashley. I am so excited that she is back on the show. And yeah, after the episode, if you want to do a deep dive into what we talked about, come on over to the forum of the exclusive Stepmom community, which is my membership space for stepmoms entirely off of social media. We're going to chat about it. We're going to chat about what resonated, what didn't. I'm going to share my thoughts on Ashley's growth and perspective on parenting. And uh, yeah, I just want to take these conversations to the next level. Members, I will see you in there. And if you're not a member and thinking about joining, www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. I just love connecting with you guys in there. Lastly, be sure to follow Ashley on Instagram at Our Splendid Life. Tag us in a post while you're listening. Let us know your biggest take home. Share this episode with a friend. We love hearing from you. Again, Ashley is at Our Splendid Life, and I am at at Jamie Scrimger. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm Jamie Scrimger, wife, mom, stepmom, life coach, conversation opener, and BS caller. Seven years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor with a glass of wine, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Don't get me wrong, I was madly in love, the kids were great, but as a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I was in over my head. When I went to the internet for support, I was disappointed with what I found. So, I decided to create the type of support that I was looking for. 
raw and real conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard, but each week I'll bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to help you thrive amongst the tough stuff in life. My goal is to inspire you to live your version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Hi, thank you so much for letting me be here. I am so excited. You know, I've been thinking about getting you on the podcast for a while because we did our first episode together. How long ago was that? That was... It was a long time ago. (laughs) Probably a year and a half, maybe even, I don't even know how long I've been doing this. I just feel like life is just kind of like all, time's all, you know, blurry at this point. Um, But yeah, so we had our first episode where we just kind of talked about you and your co-parenting situation and your life and all the things you got going on. Um, So guys, if you didn't listen to that episode, I highly recommend going back and just kind of getting the lowdown. But maybe, I guess, to start, do you want to just kind of introduce yourself and give us a brief summary? Maybe not as detailed as the last episode, but... Yeah, exactly. No, so I would love to. And I feel like we all like this concept of time and co-parenting is just like such a weird thing and things change so quickly too in a lot of situations. And so quick update on like what we've got going on, because I feel like the last time we talked, we were really new to the, um, my daughter had just decided to live with her dad and we were kind of going through that almost temporary situation where we weren't sure how long she was going to be there and that kind of stuff. So to give a little backstory about who I am, um, I have a daughter who I share custody with, and I actually in court have joint custody still, but she, um, lived with us and we had full, um, you know, like she was living with us full time until she decided to live with her dad when she was about eight. So, um, she's 13 now. So that was about five years ago. And since then we've had, well, even just all along the whole process, we definitely had a high conflict custody situation, um, struggled a lot with parental alienation. And so I've kind of going down that road and understanding what that looks like has been a learning process. And I, feel like even just evolving on a day-to-day basis, it changes. And so I love that right now we're in a really good place. And so speaking to that from the perspective of going through the hard stuff and knowing what that feels like, but then also knowing what the peace feels like on the other end of it and being able to, you know, let go of expectations and set boundaries and do all of the things and kind of work through And one of the biggest things that I'm most passionate about talking about is working past the symptoms and going into really like the root cause and the limiting beliefs of what we've got going on in our lives right now. So that's kind of where I'm at, what we've got going on over here. And yeah. And so how far are you guys apart in turn? It's a, it's a plane ride, right? Oh yeah. So we, at the time she decided to live with her dad, we were living in Idaho and then uh, we just recently moved to New York. So she's in Florida. So either way, we've always had a really long distance Mm -hmm. um, situation. So Oh, how was that during COVID? You know, it was crazy, but we got really lucky. And I just kind of intuitively timed plane tickets for it to not impact us as much as I think it did most people. Um, so we got really lucky with that. But also as she's gotten older and, be, you know, she's a teenager now. So we've seen that that's changed our visitation as well. So not saying that it was COVID related, but it's definitely, you know, changed since COVID, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. So I have so many questions, but first, what is your schedule now in terms of like, how do you guys see each other? Because, you know, I know when I talk to stepmoms who have the, you know, long distance co-parenting situation. So they'll typically have summers or holidays or just more extended periods of time. But 
you know, as we were talking about before we hopped on, kids get older and they don't really want to hang out with the parents that they live with, let alone pack their bags and go and spend summers where they don't have friends or they don't have their sports or they don't have like things that are going on in their lives. So how have you guys navigated that? Yeah. So this is actually our first summer that she hasn't come to stay with us for the full time. And part of the reason for that was she came out last summer and we saw a lot of issues with just not even just behavior, but with just her being happy, you know, and we want her to have a community and we want her to have facilitate a network here for her so that she feels like this is her second home. But realistically, we know that sometimes that's not possible. And so this summer was the first year that she basically just said, I don't want to come out and respecting that for her to me was more important than forcing her to do something that she didn't want to do at this point in time. And I also understand and realize that a lot of the dynamic with our relationship right now is based on a history and a foundation of parental alienation. And so we're still seeing the results of that as she gets older. And so she is making those decisions for herself, but also understanding the backstory of, you know, knowing that that manipulation has happened. So, um, you know, but as a mom, the thing that I am most, the most important thing to me is my relationship with her moving forward that I am preserving as much as I can. And knowing that I am kind of playing the long game, I'm not going to be short-sighted and force her to do something that she doesn't want to do because those aren't going to create lasting memories for her that she appreciates and that she doesn't feel seen and heard and loved. And that's all I want. My end goal is for her to be happy. And so understanding that means that I'm not going to get her as much maybe right now in this season, but when I do see her, it's going to be really intentional and very authentic. And so, um, a lot of the time that looks like me flying to go see her and getting a hotel or an Airbnb and, you know, kind of, you know, taking the time to really be in her space and knowing her for who she is and allowing that to be our dynamic rather than saying, I'm going to uproot you for the whole summer, come to our house. And, you know, as much as we've tried to introduce her to friends here and get her in summer camp and do all of those things, it's just not the same, you know, and Mm -hmm. as a 13 year old, I can totally understand that. And I would rather put the ball in her court, her court and allow her to feel like she's in control of her life. Because I think as a blinded kid, you don't get that a lot. And so not only that, but I think we're all doing things the best that we can. And so if she maybe someday looks back and I know for sure, I have regrets on the past, but I also know that I've always, my heart has always been in the place where I want what's best for her. And I feel like that is more important than maybe, you know, saying that this is my time and I deserve it. And she has to come out here no matter what. I love that. And I think that's so big of you. Obviously you've had to check your ego on that. Right. And be, it's so easy for parents to say, well, it's my time. I have court ordered time. I'm entitled to this time with my child. And it goes back to, you know, I, sh- I share this quote every now and again on Instagram. It's like, you have to remember, you know, children are people. They're not a timeshare, right? Like they have lives and wishes and we want them to be happy. And it's not about just kind of like getting your time scheduled in. You don't want them to look back on their life and resent the time they had with you because then they're not going to want to be around, right? Like they're not exactly. going to want to come see you when they're in their 20s. They're going to be like, I freaking hated going to my mom's or hated going to my yeah. dad's. Yeah. You don't want them to feel that. So I love, I, I think that's so big of you. And I can imagine that's taken a lot of work for you to oh, get yeah. to that place. <laughs> it definitely has, but also it was a mindset shift. So as soon as you make that 
it's like, as soon as you make that conscious effort to have the awareness, it's really quick. So I think I struggled with it for a long time, but as soon as I decided that it was going to be about that, it was a, it was a really fast transition. So it hasn't been as hard on me because my outcome is different. Like my goal with her is different. So I see my time with her, it's quality over quantity. So if I go see her for a week, then I know that that to me, that is my outcome. That is my best case scenario is that I got to spend a week with her that was amazing and wonderful. And we bonded and it was great. And yeah, of course there are going to be things in that week that we also struggle with. I'm not saying that it's perfect, Mm -hmm. but knowing that that to me was a better option for our family than having her for, you know, eight weeks in the summer where it might be here and there hit or miss. We have great moments, but we also have a lot of the hard stuff too. And it's changed our relationship as far as the dynamic between me being her mom, you know, like a full-time mom to her. And I think that in any co-parenting situation, you have so many people that love your child that you have to really step back. And that's when I think about ego, I think about that the most, because I feel like the one thing that I hold on to maybe a little is just the mom guilt and feeling like I should be her mother and I should be raising her and I should have this, all of this say over her and I should have more, Um, and so we do parallel parenting basically. So what that means, if you don't, if you, if you haven't Mm -hmm. heard what parallel parenting is basically co-parenting is like, you're on a path with the other parent and you're like two cars driving down the road and you guys are like in and out of each other's lanes all the time. So you're talking all the time, you're communicating all the time, you're making joint decisions. That's co-parenting and parallel parenting is you're still driving down the same road. You still want what's best for your kid. You're driving to the same goal. You want to go to the same destination, but your lanes aren't crossing. So I'm staying in my lane and he's staying in his lane and we are doing whatever we want in our homes. And there's not a lot of back and forth. And that works for me because we do have a high conflict situation. And so it's given us both a lot of peace of mind knowing that their parenting style is totally different than mine. And she gets away with a lot that I wouldn't let her get away with. And, you know, but to me, I know that I've also had to understand that she has two parents over there that love her so much. And as long as she's ending up in the same place and our goal is the same, I can't micromanage that. And I can't Mm -hmm. control that because I think blended kids grow up really fast too. And so thinking about when I was a new mom, I wanted to control everything for my kids. Like I wanted to, you know, be involved in everything and understand, you know, like I wanted to be in all of these different intricate aspects of her life and really, you know, kind of like a hover parent and really just kind of control all of that so that she didn't make mistakes and didn't learn the hard way. But kids go through that eventually anyway, right? Like they move out whether they're 18 or whether, you know, they're, you know, 16 and starting to become more independent. And so if that's going to happen either way, I would rather preserve a relationship than to, fight with her about that and just allow her to exercise that independence a little bit sooner, but also knowing that she's still under their watch and she's still under my watch. And just the, my role now as a mom is more of, you know, loving and unconditional love and always holding space for her and, you know, doing everything that I can in a way that still allows me to not force her or control her. So -hmm. that's just what works for us. Yeah. And I think in some way that works for a lot of families and where a lot of families would see how much that does work. Right. Cause I think sometimes yeah. we get caught up saying like, this is how it should be, or this is what parenting should look like, or this is what a role of a stepmom should look like, or this is what I should be as a mom. And yeah. they're, they're people like they're people with desires and goals. And, you know, they want to feel like they have some say over their lives and you're right. At the end of the day, it's about having that relationship. It's about them knowing that they're loved and that they're safe and that they're supported. And that's what makes you a really good parent. 
Totally. I agree. I love that. And I think that when I talk to some people and I tell them our situation, I think it triggers a lot of people. And I think that that's almost a good thing because if you're listening to this and you're saying, I would never, like I would never put myself in that situation, or you're feeling those emotions come up where, you know, you're seeing that there's a disconnect there, but I feel like it almost, to me, it means that we have to take a step back and really look into those patterns that we're playing out in our own lives, right? Because I think that we all have similarities in this situation where that's more valuable. And I feel like, especially when we're all in, in it together, right? Like we are all struggling with different things and we all have different ways of of going about that. But I do think that there's no space for judgment in the step family community. No, because there's no one size fits all approach. And I, and I say that all the time. And I know we all say that because you can read these rules or a stepmom should do this or a mom should do that. Or it, it needs to be like, like, it doesn't work like that. Cause there yeah. are so many moving parts and different personalities and different perspectives and different histories. People have different ways of even thinking that parents should be it's yeah, it's way, yeah. way more complicated than that. Now I want to sure. go back to something that you said, you said you are now about not treating the symptoms you're about playing the long game. Can you yeah. uh, share a little bit more about that when you're talking about the symptoms and, and, and what, what that means for you? Totally. Yeah. So for me, when I think of a symptom and just totally in general terms, if you think about something that you're struggling with, like let's say it's anxiety or let's say it's every time you talk to your ex, you feel so stressed out that then you're going to go and you have emotional eating issues or you have like, I, I'm like addicted to shopping. So I will go anytime that I'm stressed out or anytime I drop my daughter off and it's like not a great drop off, I will literally run to the mall and go spend money. And that's like my coping mechanism. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these are all things that to me show up as symptoms. And I think that logic tells us that we should only be working on this surface level stuff. Right. So for example, if my symptom is shopping, then I should have a budget. Or if my symptom is emotional eating, then I should go on a diet or I should work out or all of these things that are very surface level when really, if you think about it, the reason why I was shopping or the reason why I was eating or the reason why I was yelling at my ex is because I was feeling an emotion. And basically your emotions are all attached to experiences from your childhood back, you know, when your subconscious beliefs were programming between the ages of zero to seven. And so we have emotions that then come up. And I, I believe divorce is a symptom. I think that we see this generationally. I think that we see this as a symptom of issues that we don't really look any further than surface level on a lot of the things, but knowing that that's the only thing we can control. Like we can't always control our, you know, like our circumstances, but we can control our reaction. Well, the, the question there though, is how sustainable is it if we're only trying to skim the surface? And if we're only trying to just fix those things instead of really pulling back those layers and saying, okay, well, the emotion that I feel every time I talk to my ex is anger. Well, when was the first time I felt anger? When was the first time that I felt like I was completely out of control in my life? What age was that for you? And for me, like I could say it goes back to like, you know, age three or four. And I can think of a specific example of when my subconscious mind basically programmed this belief that anger means that you are not safe. It means that you're not in control. It means that, you know, like, and so that experience for me, well, then every time that pattern comes up, every time you feel anger, you're going to go back into this fight or flight mode. Right. And mm -hmm. so then that response then turns into the symptom that we see. So it's almost like doing the, doing the work and doing that healing has been, it's a lot to take in, I think at first, but I know that like watching how 
quickly things shift in your life and how I'm able to now move through that with it, with the awareness, I can change that. And to Mm -hmm. me, I think that that's probably the biggest, you know, like the best thing that I could teach anybody is teaching them how to actually change the things that they want to change without, you know, I mean, obviously in your situation, there are things that you literally can't change, but you can always change how you react. Yeah, for sure. And just diving back in saying like, why does this affect me the way that it does? Like, why do I get triggered so intensely? And I love that you're talking about just kind of going back into your childhood and like thinking about the messaging that you were given or just those traumatic experiences or where insecurities even come from or where are just where the dynamics in our relationships come from, because I've been doing a lot of diving back into that kind of, I would say over the last like few years, but again, I really dove into it during COVID, you know, you know, pandemic, you decide to dive into your childhood trauma. It's really good timing for that. (laughs) Uh, But it explains so much. And I think that and I've talked about this on a couple of different podcast episodes. I think people get caught up saying like, no, let's just move forward. You can't fully move forward until you look back and figure out like why things affect you the way that they do. And right. when you do that, it's such a game changer. And I think it's especially important in blended families for some reason. Like I think there's just so many triggers around us all the time and like so many opportunities to feel wounded or like the victim or like someone's doing something to, you know, it's easy to take things personally. And when you go back, it's, you realize, oh, wow, I got some stuff to work through. Exactly. Right. And I think no matter what we're put in these situations so that we can learn from them and so that we can grow from them and we can heal them. And so then we don't have to keep struggling with them. Right. Like, so the point is that if every time drop off is stressful for you, then what can we do differently so that it's not stressful anymore? You know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. figuring that out is where we create change. It's really those layers underneath. And so I think it's funny too, because if you think about it, like and going back to like the generational piece of this, like how many times do you hear that someone like they married someone just like their mom or they married someone just like their dad or that come, that pattern comes in. And it's a lot of, you know, in our childhood, we are craving what we missed or we have a lot of like beliefs around, you know, what we deserve, quote unquote, what we deserve. And so if we end up in a relationship, that's not great for us, it's because we don't think we deserve better or, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's this learning process that we almost And I see it now as an opportunity, right? So I know that like this person in my life that I now have to co-parent with is showing me where I'm falling short in ways that I could still learn and grow from. And so changing that dynamic with the relationship goes from, you know, labeling as a narcissist or labeling as a high conflict person or labeling. It's like, how can I make this more about me and what I'm able to control? And that means that And if you think about it too, like, I love to say like everything is energy, right? And so if everything has a vibration and there's, you're dealing with someone who's on a lower vibration, right? And so if you think about the scale of consciousness, you're thinking about anger and fear and worry, and all of those things are going to be down here on a lower level. And so if you're dealing with someone who's on a lower level, the best way to go about it isn't to come down to their level and to argue with them. The best way to go about it is to raise your vibration so that you're feeling grateful and happy and love and joy and all of those things so that it doesn't affect you as much. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't really matter about them. What matters is you. And that's been the biggest takeaway that I've had so far is just knowing that the more I can focus on me, the less other things are going to impact me. Yeah. I love it. 
Now, have you had to set some boundaries to oh, yeah. get to this point? <laughs> so, because I was going through your Instagram and you, you talk a lot about boundaries. So what has that looked like for you? So I feel like with boundaries, okay. So to me, when I think about a boundary, I think about if you're like, a little caterpillar crawling on the ground and you like, there's a big apple that's in your way. Right. And so you're walking and you see this huge apple and you're like, how am I going to get around this apple? This like, this really sucks. There's this situation that I, I don't know how to figure it out and I don't know what to do. And so when you're feeling like this is a huge obstacle that's around you, how do I work through this? If I think about then moving through the process and really shifting into how can I become more of like the butterfly that is able to fly above and see things from all perspectives and really be more open to opportunities to see where I can hold boundaries and where I am able to kind of work through that. It's almost like the apple doesn't seem so big anymore, right? So the more that you're able to really focus and shift on that, the more boundaries feel like you're able to enforce them. Cause I think that that's the biggest issue, right? People say, Oh, I'm going to have boundaries, but it's like, how do I actually tangibly do that? Like mm-hmm. I would love to set boundaries, but then I still have to deal with this person all the time. And so I'm still going to worry about it. Right. So it's always that perspective of like, then you're, you know, you're seeing this as a big obstacle that you have to do and you have to sh- struggle through and you have to suffer. And I think that that's also a story that we play out, right. Is that, you know, what, what would it look like if it was just easy for us to have boundaries and easy for us to enforce them? And so honestly, it just goes back to, me and what feels good for me and following that intuitive guidance and understanding that sometimes that looks like stepping away. Sometimes that looks like not expect having expectations because a lot of the time our expectations are what allow us to feel like we're let down. Right. And Mm -hmm. so knowing that mother's day is coming up and I'm not going to have the expectation of a phone call means that that's okay. And it's okay that she doesn't call because I am still surrounded by love with, you know, from myself and from the family that we have, I have here with me. And even though it doesn't look the same, it still allows me to not guard my heart, but protect it in a way that makes it so that I'm not so easily frustrated when situations come up that I could be let down by. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you've had to do a lot of work to deal with the parental alienation piece. And I know that a lot of a lot of stepmoms reach out to me and say, like, how do you deal with that? How do you focus on your relationship with your child or your stepchild when there's another party who's trying to interfere who or is yeah. putting thoughts in their head or not really encouraging that? Mm-hmm. What's your advice for them? I would say, what are your goals? Like, what is most important to you? And what are the things that you... um would, would love to have, like what, if your life was perfect, what would it, what would that look like? And then going back through and just asking, what would it take for me to get there today? What would it take for me to get there in this moment? And understanding that making it more realistic is what creates your awareness and the ability to make it happen. And so at least for me, I know that my goal has shifted a lot from when I very first started co-parenting, right? So when I was in court and I was fighting for custody for my little girl, my little girl, my goal was in the moment, I was like, I want full custody. I don't want her dad to see her at all. He wasn't in her life for a year and a half. Like I had an expectation that wasn't going to be realistic. And so then shifting that 
from, you know, my goal then went to, well, I want to be able to live wherever I want. And I don't want the courts to have so much control over me. And so kind of watching that evolve and then shifting that goal then to something that's actually realistic and just saying, I want a good, I want the best relationship with my daughter and affirming that and knowing that like it will happen in its own time. And what can I do? What would it take for me to have that today? And what does that look like? Does it look like sending her a letter in the mail? Does it look like, you know, reaching out on like to her stepmom or what does that, does it even just look like, you know, keeping her in my thoughts and prayers? Like there could be so many simple steps that we can take to allow us to achieve a goal that's realistic versus saying, you know, I want X, Y, Z, and I'm going to fight you in court for it until that happens. Right. And so I think that really not managing expectations, but really having an awareness of what's best for you in, and like, that's self-care to me, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. that being able to stand in that and allow yourself to be okay with whatever goes on around you, whatever the judgment is, whatever the expectation is that it should be a certain way. And just allowing you to be really completely happy authentically and allowing them to be completely happy authentically. And whatever that looks like is great. Mm -hmm. And just them knowing that you're there. Yeah. Cause I always say that kids are going to look back on their life with an adult perspective. And at that point they, you know, I look back on my parents' divorce and things that both of them would say about the other person or just choices that they made. And I was like, what the hell? Like that was not in our best interest at all. That was their ego or that was their uh, adult conflict coming in. That wasn't about what was best for me. And that wasn't about what was best for the kids. Um, sidebar, I always called my brothers and sisters the kids because they lived with my mom and I lived with my dad. And I'd be like, oh, the kids are coming on the weekend. But yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in that place. But now as an adult, I look at the whole situation c- completely different than I did as a kid. And I think it, I think parental alienation is super sad because it really, you, you lose out on that time that you can't ever get back. And it, you know, it, it is really damaging and it is abusive. It's straight up abusive, but I love your perspective on that saying like, what do you want in the long run? Like, you just want them to know that you're always there. You just continue to be there and continue to let them know that you, you know, are holding that space for them and that, you know, when they're ready, you're, you're ready to, right? Like it's never changed. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that comes down to knowing who she is as a person and understanding those qualities that are unique and different to her than they are to all of my other kids and really being able to meet those needs on an individual basis rather than just saying, you know, um, like, well, I'm just going to be like, as far as like, if you think about like your love language, right? So you have a receiving love language, but you also have a giving love language. And so it might not be her love language to receive quality time with me, but her love language is gifts. And so I can send her gifts and that to her is probably more meaningful than a conversation on the phone. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so being able to really understand that about her and truly give her that space to be a unique person and to meet those needs and understand too, not only that, but she loves structure and she craves, you know, schedule and routine. And me as a person, I am the opposite of that. And I love to just, you know, I'm very spontaneous and fun. And I like to just have, you know, things going on all the time. And so understanding too, that there might be part of her other parents that give her that structure that she wants. And so it would naturally mean that she would be great to learn those things from them. Like, and so then I, I'm holding space for her to be that version of herself rather than forcing her to be 
what I want her to be or for her to, you know, and I, it took me a while to realize this the hard way because I would go and visit her and I'd be like, let's go to the beach or let's go to Disney or let's go to these fun things. And she's like, I just want to stay home. Like, I just want to be, you know, I just want to lay on the couch and watch movies. And I felt like she was going to hate that sign, that type of vacation. But now I understand that when I'm with her, it's like, she wants to have that time to re-energize and stay by herself for a little bit. And so I think knowing your children or your stepchildren is probably one of the most important things that I've done also to encourage a relationship with her no matter what and Mm -hmm. allowing her to live fully in that and not forcing her to be somebody she's not. Yeah. I did a podcast episode. It just came out a couple of weeks ago with uh, Ron Deal and the, how the five love language uh, can improve your step family life and conflict and all of that. It was so good. And and I think that we often will lose sight of other people's love language if we're in, when we're in these high conflict situations or when we're in more contentious situations, because we don't, we don't associate love languages with that. We think about our relationships or, you know, partners, whatever, like when it comes to blended families, it really is a game changer. I think that I love that you brought that up. So I want to switch gears a little bit. I was, so I was going through and we kind of started online around the same time ish, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, where we kind of connected a few years ago. And so I was going through and I was noticing, I was like, you know what, Asha's being a little quiet online right now. Uh, there's just not as many posts and and that kind of stuff. And I want to bring that up because I do think that we're both fairly similar in, I guess the ebbs and flows of sharing what's happening in life and our stories and and helping other people through their stuff based on our experiences while also taking care of ourselves. And uh, I'm just curious as to why, what's going on over there? What's going on in your Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny because I feel like sometimes for me, it's insecurity and self-sabotage, right? So I'll put myself out there and I'll share really vulnerably. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) like I need to just like shut all the doors and bar all the windows and hide myself away because it's really scary to Mm -hmm. be in the step family space, not knowing how you'll be received for saying certain things. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying that that's my perception of it. So I don't think that people are more worried about themselves than they are worried about me, certainly, but it feels sometimes like a fear-based, you know, like I just sometimes feel like I need to kind of take this step back, but also understanding that what that kind of evolves into is then the self-care and the healing that happens on the back end so that when I am ready to share again, or when I am stepping out into this space again, it feels Mm -hmm. more aligned and authentic with not allowing some of that. I feel like it's like, it's, it's totally me, you know, but it, it just also feels like, the dynamic between me and my daughter's stepmom is impacted when I share too. And so I know mm-hmm. that like, anytime I post something, I'm kind of in the back of my head worried, what is she going to say? Or, you know, and this happens, I think for a lot of people who decide to share any start of part of their story, there are always going to be people there who don't appreciate that. And so I'm learning how to navigate, how to share without necessarily giving so many vulnerable details that would you know, kind of impact them in a way to just be not even more respectful, but just to help others without sharing so much personally. Mm-hmm. And so kind of tr- trying to figure out how to navigate that as well. But I feel like you do such a good job at that. So. It's hard. I was just going to say it's hard. And I feel like sometimes oh. I don't do that. I, I love what you said there though. It's like, you want to share your story, 
and what you're going through without sharing or speaking on someone else's experience and without insulting them or having them feel offended. And it's a really hard thing to do in the step family space because I think that a lot of the challenges that come from being a stepmom, I'd say in my situation, is the co-parenting piece or is dealing with stepkids and, and that kind of stuff. But, you know, what I've done in my situation is just to say, like, this isn't about you. This is about a community of women. This is about sharing how I feel and how I'm experiencing things. And the big thing I've learned is two different people can experience the exact same situation in two very different ways. Like, I bet I could sit down and do a podcast interview with your daughter's other parents <laughs> and it would be a completely different interview, right? The same yeah. goes for, you know, I could right. talk to my husband and I could talk to his ex and there are two very different perspectives on what's right and wrong and what what's gone down. And I think that's important for us all to recognize, right? And respect. Like, this is your experience. So that I do feel, though, like when you're vulnerable like this, it gets sometimes exhausting. Like you have that, what is it, like a vulnerability hangover afterwards. Yeah. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but then it's the posts that you were like, oh, I don't know if I should have shared that, that do so well. Yeah. <laughs> because people are craving real life, right? Like they, they're yeah. scared to share their own journey too. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. What does self-care look like for you right now? So right now it looks like I'm sending my kids to summer camp. Hey, <laughs> <preach>. them. <laughs> I'm like, bye, have fun, you know, and, and that's just what I need right now. I need some independence and space. And I feel like I've been in and, you know, Nellie's too. We have a little baby who's still at home all the time, but, um, delegating a lot of that, you know, even just two hours a day to say, I need this time for myself and have some independence has been really important for me as a mom. And I don't think I realized how much I needed that until I didn't have it during COVID. <laughs> and when my kids uh -huh. were around me all the time, you know? Yeah. I found, I found COVID really hit me at the end, like yeah. at the very end, the last, like yep. the tail last, I would say three months of just being with everyone all the time. And Reese has been in camp for the last three days. Yeah. And I just feel like a whole new woman. Like I, I literally <laughs> like, oh my gosh, is this like a little bit of routine again? Is this what life is going to be like? Yeah. You talk a lot about clearing emotions mm -hmm. and what does that, I, I'm hearing that more and more when yeah. you say that, what does that mean? So for me, our emotions basically are imprinted on our cellular DNA. So this is just like our emotions trigger experiences and they're basically, oh, it's like little pieces of awareness, right? So anytime we're feeling an emotion, it's not that we're clearing the emotion, we're clearing the experience behind it. So essentially what that means is like, you could be in school on your first day, right? And you go into kindergarten and you're, you're nervous, but you're excited and you sit down and you raise your hand and you get an answer wrong. And your teacher's like, no, that's wrong. And so then that experience, then you're like, Oh, what is this feeling? I've never felt this before. I didn't feel like that when my mom, with my mom at home or whatever. And so that, that feeling of low self-worth or not knowing the answer or not having the answer to everything then is imprinted on your subconscious. And so then we carry that throughout the rest of our lives. And so moving forward, then when we're adults or teenagers, we might be afraid to raise our hand or speak out in a public conversation or have something that we want to share with the world, but maybe we're too afraid to say it because back when we were five years old on our first day of kindergarten, this experience happened to us. So that emotion of low self-worth then stays with us basically. And so clearing that 
means that like our body has an energy field around it. And so what that means is we have, I'm sure you've heard of chakras and auras and all of that. And so being able to go in and it's basically like, if you think about it, you have five senses. It's just an extra sense where we hold emotions that protect us. And so our aura is there to basically say, when my energy is feeling unsafe, that's when our fight or flight mode is basically triggered. Okay. And so clearing that allows us to then see things for what they are without the clouded perception that we've held onto for such a long time. Right. Because, you know, that just because it happened in our past doesn't mean that that's, what's going to continue to happen in our future. So when we put our guard up or when we have these emotions that come up, once we clear them, we're able to move forward with just a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So how do you clear? So for me, like, okay, so at the end of every single day, I take a shower and I imagine that that shower is like a white light coming down and clearing my aura as well. So not just like my physical body, but also my energetic body. And I watch as those things that came up throughout my day. And I do this with my kids too. So we pretend like my front door is a car wash. So like they'll go out the car wash in the morning and they get protected and, you know, like all of this stuff around their aura so that they, things can bounce off of them and not get, feel like they're getting stuck in their energy field. But then also when they come back home, we just energetically wash that off. And so I think everyone feels energy on some level. But yeah. as a kid, I was always very like psychically in tune and very aware. And so it's been interesting to see as I open those gifts back up, how common it is. Like more, the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, people really, it resonates with them because they're like, oh, it's crazy because, you know, I just had this bad feeling about this thing, or I kind of intuitively knew it before it happened or something, you know, I mean, we all have mm-hmm. aspects of this gift. And so being able to step into that and understand like, okay, well, when, when did I experience this for the first time? Where am I feeling that in my body? Because a lot of the time, um, there's a really great book called the body keeps the score. And I love it because it explains like, if you have any neck tension or if you're having, like, if you feel a pit in your stomach and there are a lot of the time we don't recognize that that's a symptom as well, but knowing that that energy can also be stuck in different parts of our body can give us that awareness too. That is so good. I've been thinking a lot about energy lately and when it comes to my own boundaries, that's where I, I'm very much paying attention to my energy and the vibe in my home. Like that's my yeah. two, two priorities. I just want to protect myself so that I can keep that vibe in the home yeah. to be that safe and welcoming space. And it's so crazy how certain people or certain events can affect your energy so quickly. Yeah. You know, like I was even to, like today, I uh, had a conversation on a phone or I received a text and it was not what I needed today. And it immediately affected my energy. It immediately triggered me. And in my head, I'm like, you know what? I have to find a way to protect myself from these conversations. They they don't get open access to me. Right. And I think sometimes we forget that when we're dealing with an ex or we're dealing with just like anyone in our family or people in our lives. Why do we give everyone such open access to us. Like they can, they can get a hold of us and, and potentially hijack our day by just a text message that pops up on our phone. That's right beside us all the time. Right. Like we're, we're basically kind of like opening ourselves up to be attacked or to, to be triggered and, and just setting my boundaries around that protection mindset Mm -hmm. is so good. So I, I love that whole clearing piece. I guess, I guess I've always been doing that and understand it, but I just had never really worded it that way. 
Well, and there are a lot of different things that you can do, a lot of different tools that you can use. But one of my other favorites is if you're sitting down and you're like, you get the text where someone sends something to you and you're really frustrated, or this might not even be real time. It could just be something that you realize that you're really still upset about something that maybe happened in the past. One of the things that I like to do is just sit down in a room by myself and just close my eyes and connect into the energy of that person. And imagine that I'm having a conversation with them without them actually being there. So I'm Mm -hmm. telling them all of the things that I'm mad about and all of the things that I'm angry about and all of the things that they did that upset me and just releasing it and just letting it go. Because sometimes what happens is we don't ever clear that, not even just the energy, but like, it's almost like we feel like we have to hold on to those things to be right or to be validated or to be you know, like it's, it's almost like not a badge of honor, but it's almost like justifying our behavior, knowing that they did something wrong to us first, instead of just Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, like, I'm really angry at all of these things and I'm going to tell you about them, (laughs) but then I'm going to let it go. And I'm just going to release it and allow it to be what it is. And just see how the energy shifts after that. And it's funny because I will tell people to do this and they'll like, say it's crazy because now we don't fight about these things or they'll get a call right after from their ex. And it's like, goes really smoothly. And I'm like, it's because on an energy level, your aura is still able to communicate that. And it's like, on some level, they receive that they receive that you've released it and that you're no longer allowing them to have that control over you anymore. It sounds so kooky, but it's so true. (laughs) (laughs) It's right. I know. I'm like, if it didn't work, I wouldn't tell you about it. Yeah. Oh, So good. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. Where can everyone find you? On Instagram, Ashley Michelle, or my website's ashleymichelle.com. So yeah. P.S. Your reels are freaking hilarious. Oh, thank you. So, (laughs) so good. Yeah. You definitely look like you're having fun with it. And the messages is great. Are great too. So thank you so much for coming on and uh, yeah, everyone go check out Ashley. Thank you so much. That's it for this one, guys. I am so happy that you took time to join and have these important conversations. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so that you get updated when new episodes are released. And if you are craving more and you're looking for personalized support and connection, be sure to check out the exclusive Stepmom community. Not only can you get individualized support from me and the Ask Jamie section of the forum, but you can connect with stepmoms from 30 plus countries around the world and have access to content that I don't share anywhere else www.jamiescrimshaw.com forward slash membership. Thanks so much for listening and I'll chat with you next week.